What I would say is if you take the time and say to them, what have you tried before that has flared you up and make sure you don't do that. They will love you. Ask them that one question. They will love it that you don't go back and do the same thing that they have tried. Treatment and especially assessment of the pelvis and SIJ has come under scrutiny recently. So today we had Trish Wisby-Roth on. Now she has 20 years of experience. She was one of Australia's first specialist sports physiotherapists. She has AIS and Olympic Games experience. Trish covered how we can use clusters to make our assessment more specific and sensitive and how this guides treatment. We also went over the common mistake of painting a broad brush of general strengthening in this area versus starting lower, starting a little bit more specific and taking our time. There was a lot of great revision pearls in this on assessment, but also some new and novel things as far as treatment. Please enjoy this episode. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Trish, and thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, Michael, and it's wonderful to be here. We are talking about when and when it is not the pelvis, and we were going to start at the start, which is screening and assessment. So do you have any screening tools or a cluster of assessments that are helping you currently in the clinic? Definitely, Michael. You know, we've got a very short time here, so I I think... The thing is to some key points from subjective um, examination and then there are four evidence-based tests. And the great thing now with testing is research shows if you do cluster testing, so you do several tests and they all point to the same thing, then you have a, a higher specificity and sensitivity that you are actually seeing that condition. And that's where research in this area has gone. And I think that's what we actually do as clinicians in the workplace. I like that. Could you remind us the cluster tests? Sure. The four that are most evidence-based The first one is a pain provocation test. So you want to do it gently, but it's called, for short, it's called the 4P test or the posterior pelvic pain provocation test. So that's where the name comes from. And you take the hip into 90 degrees flexion. You add up and internally rotate. I put my hand under the pelvis, put force through the length of the femur, and does that reproduce their pain? specifically over the posterior pelvic region, seem to be quite highly specific and sensitive in postpartum or pregnant women. So that's the first one. The second one is an active straight leg raise that changes with compression of the sacroiliac, the the pelvis. I won't say that compression of the pelvis. So whether a leg feels heavy or not or reproduces pelvic pain isn't a sensitive or positive test for pelvic pain in itself. If 
providing compression to the pelvis region, changes both the weight of the leg and changes the experience of pain. That seemed to be both specific and sensitive. So that's those two. The third test, and lots of people know it in the olden days as the stalk test, and it's actually not the stalk test. It's called a single leg hip flexion test because the stalk test has lots of connotations, Michael, of are you feeling the sacrum moving forward? Are you feeling the ilium coming back? I've seen scans done. I've seen surgery. The sacroiliac joint sits underneath your multifidus about four centimetres deep. So we're not able to feel whether those things happen. But the single leg hip flexion test is get them to stand on one leg. They lift the other leg up to 90 degrees. And are they able to do that functionally? To maintain balance on one leg and bring the other leg up to 90 degrees. And that is a pass or a fail. Now, that test by itself is not enough to hang your hat on, but you put it in with a cluster of the other two. And the fourth one that's been shown to be highly specific and highly sensitive in a cluster test of the other three is a pain provocation test of the soft tissue structures directly overlying from S2 to S4. So you're not looking at palpating muscles. It's just you have your your SIJ and you just roll your firm pressure from S2 down to S4. And if they report that in the same region and similar to the pains that they experience, they're your four cluster objective tests. That's a good review. Yeah, and do you know one of the most classic, highly specific and sensitive subjective, well, there's two of them, that go with this cluster test, that puts you up to six. And they are pain or inability to turn over in bed without having to wake up and turn over, but specifically with pain over the posterior pelvic from S2 to S4 region. And very often those people do have incontinence, some signs of incontinence, not all the time, but sacral plexus often is involved. And a lot of these people have had it for a long period of time. And the other thing they will talk about is real difficulties, putting weight through one leg and particularly going downstairs. Yeah. Because it's eccentric strength, it's all their body weight, on one leg. If you've got all of those, to throw out the thought that it could be a pelvic issue is probably denying the evidence that's in front of you. Where do the uh, compression and distraction sit? I'm vaguely remembering that we would try and push against and then compress the back as well. Is that does that come up for you? Yeah, they are known as two of Laslett's pain provocation test where they lay on the back and you push the ASIS apart and push the ASIS together. And they're probably the main test that undergraduates are taught and very low sensitivity. 
So really what they've done to try to make those more sensitive, although I haven't seen the sensitivity tests on them, so I don't think they've been done because I would have seen them, is you lay them on their stomach, you put a wedge under the pelvis, and you compress the SIJ by pushing the sacrum forward. Seem to be much more specific and takes the hip out. And as far as distraction, loose pack position for the SIJ is 60 degrees hip flexion. So you just lay them on their side, hips in 60 degrees hip flexion, and push down on the ASIS. But saying that, Michael, my feeling if you want to be really efficient, bare bones, I wouldn't even go with those ones. I'd go with the four that that we've discussed and then the subjective. Yeah. What are some key markers that might show up in the subjective for you? One of the key things they will say is not in, in this speak, but they struggle to weight bear through that side for any length of time. Yeah. And that's the stairs, turning around in bed, putting socks on, putting shoes on. Yeah. They'll often say after a little while, classic what women do if they've got a sitting job is after a short period of time, they will sit on their leg. They'll sit on their foot because what that does is it means one side of the pelvis is a weight bearing. They will often say they are much better moving and walking rather than standing. They'll often say shopping is really painful, but walking they can do because with walking they're not maintaining weight-bearing for any length of time. And we were talking off air, the meat and veg of the podcast was we're starting to see a trend away from misinterpretations that we can't be specific and maybe we can't feel certain things and see certain things with our hands, which you've even covered some of those. And then it's leading to a lack of specificity of treatment in this area, particularly from younger clinicians. Uh, Just a a classic and generic example is someone with pelvic pain, lack of specific testing being given general strength exercise and potentially making a patient worse. Could you comment and kind of speak to that and what you're seeing and how you might suggest an alternate pathway to that? And I can really see how young physios get disillusioned because they're not taught a lot about differential diagnosis in undergraduate. They're not taught a lot about private practice. That's not their fault. I feel they need mentoring afterwards in the clinic. But what I would say is the research has gone towards cluster testing. Cluster testing creates high specificity and high sensitivity. And when you look at it, you know, having been at an Olympic Games with a variety of athletes, whenever I got athletes who came to me who weren't getting better with the physio they were having, I wouldn't say, oh, I've got this amazing technique, this will make everyone better. I would fall back on cluster testing differential diagnosis. Once we got that under wraps, it directed the way you needed to go. And so don't throw the the baby out with the bathwater. And if you cluster test and you get four positive tests, they have difficulty weight bearing, they have pain turning over in bed, I would have to say you'd have to have a very rigid and recalcitrant view that pelvic problems do not exist in this world to turn your back on that. 
And I think with new grads, if we, and even the first five years, if we can give them some of those differential diagnostic cluster groups, which all my courses or our online things, that's it. Do these things and what's your result? If your result is A, then do these things. And if your result still remains A, this is your path to rehabilitation. But if it's B, then do these other tests. And, Michael, you have to do that. You know, there's too many tests. Look at the hip. 250 tests in the hip. If you did every single test, you would need a lie down and the patient would never come back. So I just think we need to support them in how to create a cluster testing that gives them confidence that they can hang their hat on it. I love that. And I'm thinking of young therapists who have already gotten gold from from what you've said about the clustering, and hopefully they're going to kind of sharpen up those skills there. Could you give a classic example or maybe someone you've treated in the last month of how your treatment for pelvic or a a one-sided SIJ pain might look compared to, say, a classic view of I'm just going to get this stronger and, you know, I might say a very basic, I'm going to do a sideline, glute med raise and then bridges and then some deadlifts because I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of basic, general, good strengthening principles, but not working for for this type of pain. Could you walk us through that? We have a graded system. So there's some major muscle groups around the pelvis. So grade one, and we know there's really good evidence for tendon issues with hypoalgesia and descending inhibition of pain with isometrics. And very often these type of patients tolerate isometrics at 50% MVC, so maximum voluntary contraction, in a non-weight-bearing position. So you do the same exercise weight-bearing because they struggle to weight-bear, it flares them, but you get them to do it non-weight-bearing. So that may be lying on their back, cook lying. It could be four-point kneeling. Often they'll cope with four-point kneeling and do a 50% isometric. And very often they can do that not weight-bearing, but weight-bearing provokes them, get them to do that for a week. And then very often you've just got enough down-regulation of pain responses to then be able to progress it up to standing. Then once we progress it up to standing, then we add in inner range, slow-controlled flexion extension of the hips. Grade three is progressing onto one leg. So By this time, Michael, you've probably been with them, you know, to get onto one leg, we're doing four to six weeks. It's slow moving, yeah. Yeah, and once you get onto that four to six weeks, we add in thoracic rotation through range so they can do that. Then grade four and grade we add in through range speed, functional, and then overload. But you're really looking at a three-month program, but it's rare for you to see these conditions and it happened two days ago. That's the other thing I would say, Michael, is it's rare unless they've had a large acute accident for them to have had this pain for two days and it be pelvis. So there's there's two things that strike me there is 
starting lower level and taking your time because what I'm again what I'm seeing is a younger therapist starting much higher level like a the first exercise might be a crab walk with a band which is weight bearing and at times single leg or maybe a squat but a semi squat but they think that that's low level enough but also the slowness of that progression because as you say this is probably someone who has had pain for a while now so spending 6 weeks to get to single leg is okay could you speak or or comment to that with with a minute to go what i would say is if you take the time and say to them what have you tried before that has flared you up and make sure you don't do that they will love you ask them that one question they will love it that you don't go back and do the same thing that they have tried yeah it's powerful look at something different and say to them if we start at lower loads you can cope with realize that this rehab process may take three months to gradually build up your skill. Are you prepared for that? Are you happy to be on the road? Mm. And they will invariably say, so long as you don't get me doing deadlift or crab with a red band, I'm with you. Yeah. Listen to them and find out their experience. They will know what's bled them up in the past. Just don't do that. And they'll love you for it. Trish, that's a a wonderful review of the evidence, the assessment, what we should look for in subjective and even finishing off with how we can better treat these patients. So thank you so much for your time. There was a lot of value in that. Uh, Thank you, Michael. And it's just nice to be able to have the conversation. It was a real pleasure. So thank you. Thank you.